Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by guide Dustin White of Steelhead Alley Outfitters and Crazy Rainbow Fly Fishing. Dustin shares his fly fishing journey and the travails and rewards of guiding more than 200 days a year. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's sponsored by our friends at Norvice. Their motto is, tie better flies faster, and they produce the only vice that truly spins. To see for yourself, if you're in the Detroit area on March 12th or 13th, stop by the Norvice booth at the Midwest Fly Fishing Expo. If you miss them there, check out their April show appearances at www.nor-vice.com. Now, on to our interview. Well, Dustin, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to, to be able to chat with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our time together, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We always ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Yeah, so it, mine's kind of conflated because my parents had me on the water uh, basically as a toddler. So, um, so there's like two or three different distinct memories I have around three or four years old, but uh, I think the first that I actually have is my mom took me catfishing. My mom used to take me catfishing as as a young lad, and so I can recall being you know three years old and catching my first uh, you know channel cat, and and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And growing up in the Midwest, that was something that was always at her disposal. And um, my mom also did drafting for a private aircraft company, and so the owner of the company would you know at four years old would drag me into these, you know, puddle jumpers and we would go from water to water and, you know, pretty inaccessible places. And not only would he, uh, you know, let me take the stick, so to speak in the air, but, uh, uh, Forrest would show me, uh, my, you know, the way around a, a rod at, at a pretty early age. So those are some of the earliest memories I have of, you know, both my parents, uh, were, uh, very avid anglers, uh, still are in, and had me on the water uh, at a pretty early age. Yeah, that's pretty neat. What's your favorite catfish bait? Oh, gosh. Uh, whatever works, man. <laughs> I mean, if we're going live bait, you know, here uh, where we're at in uh, northeast Ohio, uh, it's hard to pass up suckers, you know. Uh, it's uh, uh, pretty hard to, to beat that. Uh, so, you know, growing up, we did, you know, a lot of live bait fishing for catfish and with you suckers uh, as uh, the – the tool of choice, so to speak. Yeah, no chicken livers or dough balls like we do in the South? You know, yeah, I mean, we would, but, uh, you know, honestly, we would go and and actually, and that was part of, like, part of the fun, too, was the process of catching the bait to then catch the fish. So then we would, you know, we would go out and, and catch suckers from the stream and uh, and utilize that, you know, use those uh, for the catfish. So those are, those are some really, really fond memories I have as a kid and um, you know, having, you know, both my parents, um, uh, showing me, uh, you know, a uh, good time on the water. And then that, that obviously translated into, uh, a, a passion and uh, a career now at this point. Yeah. Very neat. When did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? <laughs> um, because my family was so into fishing, we always, no matter what sort of vacation we would take, 
uh, every single family vacation uh, I grew up on involved, you know, booking some sort of guided trip. Uh, and so um, that was, that just kind of came through guided trips, you know, going out West with my family and, you know, hiring a guide to, to take us out on some trout waters. But it also could be, you know, if we were in Maryland, you know, it was, you know, jumping on a headboat uh, to, you know, fish flounder, uh, something like that, not, not on the fly. So the, the, the fly fishing thing for me um, was a bit exotic, you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio, initially it was, it was this thing that was a little exotic. It was the thing, it was what you did on vacation. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, the warm, typical warm water, the species we had, we, we would utilize conventional gear, but eventually, you know, as I got into my twenties, uh, really fell in love with, uh, targeting multiple species with a fly rod. Uh, first, uh, was actually, uh, carp on the fly, just fell in love with pursuing carp on the fly and, and, uh, uh, that grew into, you know, multiple other species. So it was kind of a slow evolution. Um, but, uh, yeah, I probably came around to it in my 20s. So later than most folks uh, in other parts of the country, for sure. Yeah, but sooner than me, and most people don't start out with carp either. <laughs> no, no, you know, uh, uh, that was kind of the first go at it uh, that I had. But because that was what was, you know, uh, an available species right in my home waters, right in our backyard. And so that was... Um, the Nimishill and Crick literally ran, uh, and are been through my backyard growing up, uh, the house that my wife and I bought Nimishill and, uh, a block away from our house, uh, a different branch of it. But, uh, so just fell in love with targeting the, the native species that were within those waters and then other species that called it uh, home as well in time. And so, uh, but yeah, carp was the, the first species, uh, on my home waters that I, started to uh really pursue uh with fly rod yeah very neat so you kind of pick up the fly rod in your 20s and obviously you're older than that now and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so who are some of the folks that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey and what they teach you yeah i mean for, for me uh the, the early mentors were folks in my family you know and so i i, I still have the you know what a lot of folks have is kind of the cliche experiences of you know, grandparents or parents, you know, t- telling you all of the uh, well-rehearsed idioms of fly fishing, of, you know, don't leave fish to find fish and, you know, can't catch fish in the air and all those uh, sorts of quirks and quips that come along the way. But then um, other folks that I encountered in the industry were colleagues of mine, friends of mine um, that uh, were, you know, a few years down the road. Um, Scott Kinsman, um, who was a Western guide and now in Florida was very, very profoundly influential to me. Um, in the last couple of years, I've been very, very fortunate to get to spend some time and be, uh, mentored by, uh, folks like Joe Humphreys and Joe's just been just a wealth of generosity and, and, um, encouragement, um, and, you know, I think in many ways it goes beyond the fishing. A lot of those mentors that I've had, um, obviously there's things that we have, uh, and I experienced as a, as a young kid or even getting, you know, even as a young adult getting into fly fishing, more the technical aspect of things. Uh, but the stuff that really has stuck with me and has been meaningful is the enrichment that comes just in spending time on the water with someone else. Um, and those are, 
those are the memories and those are the lessons that those mentorships have that are uh, just, you can't put a price tag on it. Um, but like I said, you know, Scott Kinsman, a good friend of mine, he's a guide in Florida, now in the saltwater. And, you know, just especially as I started getting into my guiding career and, and guiding became more and more full time, uh, just, you know, bouncing ideas off of him, asking him questions and, you know, someone to be there to pick up the phone whenever you're calling and have a question or have a complaint or a problem to solve. Um, those, those have been the folks that have been, um, so special to me. Yeah. Very neat. And, you know, it's always interesting, you know, it's one thing to be eaten up with fly fishing. It's another thing to want to become a guide. When did you get the guide bug? You know, for me, and I think this is the case for a lot of folks, it was a gradual thing that I kind of stumbled into, um, simply by being, you know, a creature of, you know, haunting our local waters, you know, and so, um, just constantly being on the water every day, um, and really dissecting our streams and, it became something at first where, you know, someone asks you to, uh, uh, go fish together and you have your one fishing buddy that goes, you know, you go fishing with, and then eventually, Hey, you know, my cousin's wanting to go out that, you know, he's never held a fly rod before. Can, uh, can I give him your number to take it? So it kind of became a little bit of a gradual to where you look back and you're, Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm guiding these folks. And you, you know, half the time you feel like you're faking it till you make it. But, um, those opportunities kept growing and growing to where, uh, you know, several years ago was able to, uh, you know, go, I think this is my fifth, fourth or fifth season, you know, being a full-time guy now, but had a, a number of years of, um, doing it part-time on the side. So it really just grew of, you know, gradually with uh, a passion to, uh, ex- expand and extend my own experience and the, things that I loved about um, being enriched by what we encounter on the water to others. And, um, you know, as you know, as well as I do, uh, it's infectious. And so word of mouth travels pretty quick. And so it did, uh, you know, did the part-time thing for a while. And then like I said, it's probably four or five seasons ago, was able to go uh, and make the the leap to guiding uh, year round, uh, which has been an adventure in and of itself. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing too, right? I, I wonder, you know, did you have a different mentor group as a guide than you had kind of when you were learning how to fly fish? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely did. I mean, in in some ways, we uh, when I was learning how to fly fish, uh, it was uh, kind of a group of folks locally that were piecing it together um, on, on, on our own, so to speak. And so kind of learning from what, from one another and, you know, studying, you know, tapes from Joe Humphreys and Lefty and, you know, all these, these profound individuals who have, uh, you know, shaped um, our sport, our, our passion. Um, but then, yeah, as a guide, um, Blake Jackson out in Wyoming, who now I'm, Fortunate enough to not just call a mentor, not just call a friend, but uh, also, you know, an, an employer now at this point working for Blake. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Scotty Kinsman in uh, the Tampa area of Florida. Those are folks that were profoundly influential for me in, in the guide realm of things. Yeah, neat. And, you know, when you say you guide year round, I mean, you legitimately guide year round. How many days a year do you spend on the water? 
Yeah, I mean, officially booked days uh, this past year, 2021, it was 234 or five days uh, that I guided on the water. And then many of the other days where you get to fun fish for yourself. So uh, just about every day of the calendar year, I'm on the water. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And so, you know, just let folks know a little bit. We'll start, let's just start with, uh, you know, winter steelhead. You want to kind of talk generally about, you know, what the 12 months in the life of Dustin looks like as a guide? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, my home waters were the, you know, the, the, the area of the country that uh, I grew up uh, on and call home is Northeast Ohio. So um, we have um, migratory trout. Uh, we affectionately uh, call steelhead Great Lakes steelhead that start entering the tributaries along the southern shores of Lake Erie um early midway through the fall but really we start seeing big pushes of fish coming in um mid end of october and so our steelhead season really kicks off then in the uh probably usually most most years it's usually about the third week of october uh we're kind of starting to be in full swing with trips and that'll run us the whole way through uh up to the holidays and um you, you know year to year it's a little different of if January or February uh, cooperates with conditions. Um, there are some years where we can fish the whole way through both months and other, other years, those rivers can lock up, the tributaries can ice over and, you know, you kind of have to do a little uh, extra uh, effort into finding some water to fish. But uh, then we have our, our spring run that usually kicks off the end of February, beginning of March. And those fish typically hang around in the water till you know, the end of April, even even beginning part of May, before they, they head back into Lake Erie. So I'm guiding our waters along the southern shore of Lake Erie, primarily between, if you think of uh, every tributary, every river, stream, creek, even ditch <laughs> that runs off of Lake Erie between Cleveland, uh, Ohio, and Erie, Pennsylvania, you'll find steelhead in that, and uh, we're very, very proud to guide that. Uh, with Steelhead Alley Outfitters. Following that, I'll make the, the trek out west to Casper, Wyoming, and guide uh, a number of different fisheries there for, for trophy rainbow, brown, and, and cutthroat trout. Yeah, and that's literally from mid-April to middle of October, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally my kind of uh, departure from uh, Wyoming is usually, you know, April 15th or so, and I'll get out to Ohio, and in the last few years, it's been about a you know two to three day drive, and I have about one or two days to kind of turn around and get geared up uh, to start the season uh, steelheading, and then April fifteenth or so, uh, load up the truck and head out west. And usually by April nineteenth, twentieth, we're running trips uh, out west on the North Platte or Bighorn rivers. Yeah, and so I mean, it goes without saying that's a pretty challenging schedule you know what's your secret to making it work i think it's it's having you know as you alluded to earlier uh i'm not in my 20s anymore i'm in my, my mid late 30s and so it's afforded me enough of a uh, um, perspective to put some guardrails up so having a day or two blocked off each week to spend time with my wife and my family and uh kind of recharge um and just having a pace and having a rhythm in it and then Having my own, you know, time to go out and fish uh, for myself. I think a lot of folks think that guides just fish themselves all day and 
a lot of times that doesn't happen, you know? So having those times where I can go out in the water uh, with my wife and we can row each other around and we both fish and just having the space to recharge is, is pretty important. And then, um, you know, the, the change in scenery helps too, you know, as, as the season starts to wane and you get a little fatigued, uh, from, uh, just the grind of it, there's always the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak of something changing up and, and that challenge, you know, itself keeps it fresh and exciting year after year. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's interesting. Cause when you see people, you know, like you that have longevity in the business, I mean, they have to get for lack of a better word, really business-like about the way they approach it or they just burn out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, and there's definitely that, that temptation for a lot of younger guys to just take every single day they can get and just go guns blazing with it. Uh, and they can burn out, you know, and, um, they, you know, a lot, and, and none of us are, you know, immune to this or impervious to, it. you know, you can very easily have the wrong priorities in mind. Um, but, um, just time has afforded me the, the perspective to have some guardrails, have some boundaries, kind of personal boundaries and allocating time to, uh, uh, be able to navigate the schedule, um, and not burn out. Uh, and not even tolerate it, but to actually enjoy it. Um, I tell a lot of younger guys all the time, you know, the thing that we get to do, and we're so fortunate, you know, even on the toughest day, it's often the thing that your client has saved up maybe years to do. Uh, they've been planning and saving and, and allocating time and dreaming and, you know, everything else to go into that trip. And so, that perspective that this is a special experience uh, that you are getting to have on the water with folks, um, that in itself is, you know, so valuable in keeping it uh, fresh, keeping it exciting and keeping energy in it. Yeah, one of the things I remember growing up as a young kid, didn't just love fishing, but loved baseball. I remember hearing a story of, of Joe DiMaggio and how he, uh, even on years where the Yankees had no sort of um, hope of making the playoffs or being a contender would, you know, just play with a hundred percent of his intensity. And one day reporters asked him, you know, Joe, why are you doing this? Like you're not even in contention. And he said, this might be the first and only time that someone watches me play. This might be their only experience of seeing the Yankees. And so we owe it to him and I owe it to him for that. And I think that's uh you know, that made an impact of me, on me as a you know young kid loving baseball, and I've tried to carry that into guiding. That um, this could be the first time or the last time that someone spends uh, a day on the water, and so we were so fortunate to be able to help make a meaningful experience for them in that. Yeah, very neat. So, I mean, would you say that's the secret to being a good guide, or do you think there's some other things out there too? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the number one thing is, you know, I wake up every day and legitimately hope that, uh, I can make every person that, uh, I get to spend the day with on the water feel like they're the most important person on the planet. You know, um, that obviously means that we need to be dialed into our fish. You know, we need to know what's happening on the water. We need to do our homework and be attuned to that. But ultimately, uh, it's a, it's a vocation of people and, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier one of the uh, mentors I had in getting involved in guiding was, you know, Scott Kinsman. And, you know, he told me my first year guiding, you know, the difference between a good guide and a bad guide is a good guide can make a bad day fun. 
And, uh, you know, so you can't always control the conditions, can't always control the bike, can't always control, you know, uh, what happens there, but we can, uh, uh, prioritize people and, uh, our clients and having a, a good time. So I think, yeah, like that's the secret to being a good guide. Um, there's plenty of really incredibly fishy guides that, um, are frankly unpleasant to be around for, um, <laughs> one of many reasons, you know, but, um, if, if you can be fishy and, uh, enjoyable to be around, uh, that's, that's the secret there. Yeah. Very cool. You know, and it's funny too. I always like to ask all of my guide guests to share what they think the biggest misconception is folks have about the life of a fishing guide. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of those <laughs> circulating, um, what I, I think from my experience, what strikes me is when a client asks you like, well, what, what goes into being a guy? Like what's a day in the life of a guy look like? And I think a lot of folks are surprised that the day is not a nine to five, you know, it is, you know, up and out of the door, um, oftentimes, you know, four in the morning, uh, meeting your clients pretty early, getting everything rigged, having your lunches, you know, prepared, ready to go. Um, spending the day on the water and then chances are if you've had a good day in the water and if you've, uh, um, you know, if you caught that fish of the lifetime, if you've had some laughs or if you need to lick your wounds, a lot of times, uh, folks are want to, you know, they're going to want to share a, a beer with you or, or something afterwards. And so, uh, very, very often a client will ask you to hang around and, and chat for a bit, or maybe go to the local watering hole to, process the day um so it's not even done when you're down the ramp and then back home at the end of the day you're ca- calling your clients for the following day getting things ready to go and then time flies for the night you know getting that fly box restocked and ready to go for the next day so it's uh it's a long day um but again the experiences that you have there make it worthwhile yeah, very cool. And we talked earlier. I mean, you're really like just getting ready to kind of jump into spring steelhead season uh, for Steelhead Alley. Out- yeah, yeah, for Steelhead Alley Outfitters. How'd you get hooked up with those guys? Again, because it's my home water. Um, we just—I mean, they are. Uh, you know, I, and I was initially guiding um, solo as an independent guide for for a while, and um, just rubbing shoulders and just reached out, and uh, and it was a pretty informal sort of. Uh, connection to them, but, um, the camaraderie was there and knowing that, uh, these are home waters, this, uh, you know, the place that we love so much and the fish that we love so much, it was, uh, it was a pretty natural fit. And then once, you know, coming on the team, uh, really is a, is a family. And so the, the whole ethos of the company is, is people first and, um, um, building on that, you know, a value of conservation and, uh, taking care of the fishery and and seeing that passion and that care instilled in our clients uh, is, is is super cool to be a part of. So, you know, it just kind of came from being in the same neck of the woods, uh, me knowing of FAO just uh, from being around here and uh, you know reaching out and uh, it was uh, it's been it's been just an incredible match. Yeah. I mean, you know, I fished with you guys last fall and I mean, you could, you can see and feel and see the results of the chemistry and the guide team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really does feel like a family. Um, and you know, I think you just said it right. There's a chemistry there uh, and everyone has a different element that they bring to the table. And, um, there's no, 
you know, sort of rogue heroes. You know, there's no quote-unquote quarterback of the team. Like, we're all in there for each other's success on the water because that means that our clients are going to have the best day possible. And and like I said, we're you know, um, it goes beyond the water. I mean, there's times where, you know, uh, there's a life event that we're celebrating and we, we all show up and we embrace that with one another. And there's times of, you know, pain and loss and we show up and we support one another. So it's, it's a really great family. It's a great group to guide with and be able to work with one another and bringing, you know, folks out in the water for a pretty memorable experience. Yeah, very neat. And so, you know, tell us, I mean, most people, when they think steelhead, they think about fall and winter, but tell us a little bit about the spring steelhead season and, you know, how those fish are different from your fall winter fish. Yeah, yeah. I actually think they tend to be a little more aggressive. And especially in Ohio, uh, as as kind of the season progresses from a fall uh, run of steelhead to a winter and spring, um, those fish tend to push a little further and further west. And so if you book the trip with us, say in the fall or even the winter, we're, there's a good chance we're going to primarily be fishing in Pennsylvania. But as that season progresses, you, you kind of start to see more and more of our trips working towards the state line of Ohio NPA and then even more westerly. And so, you know, in the spring, I, I don't at all want to say it's easier, but you get more opportunities. And those fish coming in seem to be really, really fired up. And so, um, they seem to be a little more supercharged. Um, they, they might be a little more eager to take a fly, but to keep them on the line, it's a little more challenging than the spring. So um, you might not have the best of landing ratios, but you'll, you'll, you'll definitely have more grabs um, traditionally in the spring than you are the fall or the winter. So fall, in uh, a lot of times, it, it, you know, if we're nymphing, it's going to feel a little more like traditional trout nymphing, uh, a little more matching the hatch. Uh, sometimes that water clears up quick on us and we've got to get a little buggy with them uh, more than normally. But in the spring, uh, they're, they're really, really aggressive fish. Uh, they come in, you know, real fired up, real hot off the, off the lake. And it makes for a, a really uh, exciting day. Yeah. And so does that mean that they're more eager to, to take the streamer and to kind of take on the swing? And so you don't nymph as much in the spring or is it still kind of a similar tactic? Yeah. Thing? I mean, well, and, and we really build the day around uh, what the client wants to experience. And so, um, I, you know, we're, we are always eager to, to swing a streamer uh, and strip streamers. Um, but in the, in the spring, because they are spawning, they're just so keyed in on um, eggs coming their way. And so fishing those deep buckets uh, where those fish are staging at, um, can be the most productive if you are wanting to have numbers. Um, but, uh, as you, as you said, they're a little more aggressive. So yeah. And they get a little more territorial then too. They're, they're wanting to kind of establish their area. And so stripping a big streamer or swinging a streamer, uh, through those areas in the spring can be very, very productive. Yeah. Very neat. And so, you know, as we mentioned, you, you do that until, basically the middle of April and you get in the car and head West and uh, yeah, yeah. You, you basically guide until October for crazy rainbow fly fishing. And I assume that's the outfitter that's associated with ugly bug fly shop. Um, yep. 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 Yeah. And so, you know, again, how'd you get hooked up with those guys? Yeah. So I had been working for another outfitter in town and uh, kind of the same way of uh, how I got connected with Steelhead Alley Outfitters here in Ohio. 
um, just in proximity. We're on the water with each other every day, and uh, we see each other, you know, one another every day on the water. And um, and the guide community in the West uh, functions as one big family. Uh, I know there are some sections of the country uh, where it can be a bit competitive and a bit adversarial, but it's just not the culture out West. We, we all recognize that we're there for the same purpose. We're, we're sharing the water and we want to be good stewards of the water and, and take care of our clients. And so the guide community there is, uh, is, is pretty small, so to speak, even though it's, it's pretty large, if that makes sense. So, um, Justin guiding there, uh, got, uh, got to know the folks at, uh, at the ugly bug and crazy rainbow and, uh, Blake had extended the opportunity and the time was ripe. And, uh, again, it's just been a, a wonderful fit. Uh, and, uh, just in the same way that SAO, uh, here in Northeast Ohio and Pennsylvania functions as a family, uh, the folks at, uh, crazy rainbow, uh, really are that as well. Uh, very neat. And, you know, I always think that, uh, you know, every fly shop has its own personality, you know, what's the vibe at the ugly bug? Yeah, I mean, if you've been out west, if you've been in the Rocky Mountain region, there is an ethos um, that it seems to be a bit of a juxtaposition in that uh, there is a western laid-backness, if I could say that, but also uh, a seriousness in getting down to business as well. So there's, there seems like they're kind of mutually exclusive, but it's not the case. So, you know, it's a, you walk into that fly shop and you're going to feel like you've been friends with the folks in that shop forever. Um, and so there is a, a relaxed nature there. Uh, but when it comes down to fishing and it comes down to the time in the water, you know, we need business and, and, uh, the folks there, uh, really know their stuff and they take it seriously. And, uh, it's, it's all about building a memory. Uh, I think the number one thing that would typify, you know, the ugly bug is, is that relationship, uh, that you are going to feel like you, uh, have come away from that experience with, a lifelong friend. Uh, very, very cool. And, you know, for folks that haven't been lucky enough to, to fish in Wyoming, you know, where do you fish? Yeah. So, uh, we guide about a hundred miles of the North Platte river, uh, and also on the Bighorn river coming out of the wind river Canyon, uh, up in Thermopolis. So, uh, about a hundred miles of river around the Casper area. Uh, and then up in Thermopolis as well, which is about an hour and a half from us. So in total, we're guiding over about 120 miles of water uh, that are, you know, blue ribbon and, and gold medal uh, trout fisheries. Uh, very neat. And so, you know, every river has its own personality. You know, how are those fisheries different than other places out west? Yeah. So the first thing to know is that they're both uh, tailwaters. So there's a lot more consistency. So Whereas a lot of other rivers, uh, if you're in Montana, if you're in Colorado, if you're out in, in California, you know, runoff is a big, a big thing. You're kind of subject to the conditions because this is a tailwater. Um, there's a lot more consistency, um, to our flows. It's a lot more predictable, which enables us to have, uh, a pretty dynamite, sustainable trout fishery. Uh, additionally to that, um, both are, as I said, blue ribbon and gold medal. So we have a lot of fish and a lot of big fish, um, in those rivers. Yeah. Very neat. I was kind of curious too, you know, how long does it take you to, uh, to shift a trout from steelhead when you get out there? 
You know, it's kind of, you know, trial by fire. So you kind of got to get thrown in. Uh, the advantage we have is in some ways when we jump in there, you know, the, the rainbows are spawning. And so it seems to be in many ways, a pretty even transition. Um, they're, they're, the tactics are kind of similar to the same, you know, obviously we're avoiding fishing on reds and we want to protect and, and, uh, make sure that those fish are, um, not, uh, you know, abused in any way, but you have plenty of eager fish that are fishing deep in buckets and, and willing and ready to eat. And so, um, it, you know, it, within a, the first few days, you're kind of as much as you can be caught up to speed. And, um, the, the thing that we have that's just so wonderful is you know, like the amount of aquatic life in our rivers out there are pretty, um, you know, pretty, uh, uh, substantial. And so you can, with some observation skills, uh, get dialed in, uh, pretty quickly into what those fish are keyed in on, what they're eating and, and how to target them. Yeah. Pretty neat. How long does it take you to kind of, I know you guys do float trips at SEO, but how long does it take you to get comfortable on the sticks again? <laughs> uh, at this point, I mean, comfortable, uh, I I'm comfortable kind of right out of the gate, uh, you know, kind of muscle memory and all that and not being sore. It's, uh, <laughs> it's about a week or so before those muscles, uh, start to not feel so fatigued or, or, or aching, so to speak. Uh, but uh, I, I love rowing folks around the boat. So the comfortability is, is there. Uh, the uh, the muscle fatigue, uh, you know, it takes a, a week or two before uh, the aches and pains go away and you're, and you're uh, kind of in the swing of it. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, we, <laughs> if we kind of think about it, right, we kind of break the season down into thirds. And so, you know, we'll sure. just say you got your – early season and your mid season and your late season. And, um, you know, what does that look like and what should folks expect in each of those segments? Yeah. I, so, you know, a lot of folks, when they come out, you know, we, and we ask that question when I get my clients from out, out East that say, I want to come out and fish West. When should I book? And, and a lot of that is, well, what do you want to experience? If you're wanting to put a lot of fish in the net, uh, and really don't care, um, tactics that that's done. Uh, then definitely the, that first third of the season is the time to come. Um, if we can, you know, have some pretty prolific days if you want to put a lot of fish in the boat. Um, as that season progresses and we get in the, the dog days of summer, um, all of a sudden then, you know, a lot more uh, tactics become um, dispensable to us or employable by us. Um, Wyoming has a pretty prolific um, hopper season. And so as we get into that July, August, stretch um of of summer into september um the hopper fishing uh can just be dynamite uh, additionally on the miracle mile which is a uh you know destination fishery along the north platte we have um a stellar uh golden stonefly hatch and fishing some pretty you know substantial uh dry flies uh that those um big big rainbows want to gorge themselves on it can be really, really dynamic. And then as we get in the fall, the, the streamer fishing really picks up. Brown starts uh, migrating in to spawn from the reservoirs. The streamer fishing really uh, picks up. And um, I actually think that that last third of the season um, can be our best dry fly fishing for those that really want to see uh, some surface heats by, by uh, really, really special trout. So, you know, it kind of, it, it offers something to everyone in terms of what they would like to experience uh, and that it's, it's distributed 
among those, uh, you know, thirds of the season that, uh, that you had remarked about. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting, that's kind of the fishing part, but you know, what's the kind of the best way to kind of come and enjoy Casper in terms of, you know, how many days should they try to fish with you to give, you know, you know, every day's not great. Right. But then also kind of sure. what are some places to stay and kind of cool things to do in the area too. Yeah, I mean, if if there's a group coming in, we we um, at the Elgin Bug and Crazy Rainbow have a, a couple of facilities that we can uh, host people at. So we have um, a lodge that's right on the river, and it sleeps twelve people, and um, you have access to private water to walk right out of the the back door and have water that no one else can have access to to to, to wade fish at that's at your disposal. Um, just a little bit downstream, we also have a river cabin that uh, sleeps about four to six folks if you want something uh, you know, on the smaller end. Um, but there's a number of hotels and Airbnbs, uh, BRBOs in town that can accommodate folks as they come in. And Casper is the, you know, while uh, relative to the rest of the country is a small town, small city, it's the second biggest city in the state of Wyoming. So uh, even though it is, you know, relatively quite small, it has uh, just about every amenity that someone could want uh, in town if uh, they were wanting to journey there. Yeah, you've got a ribbon shop, right? <laughs> yes, we do have a ribbon shop, and it's, it's directly next door to the, the fly shop. So you can come in and get uh, your fly box uh, filled up and then uh, go get your belly filled up next door. Yeah, country fried steak, good stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you kind of, the season winds down for you in the middle of October and you head back east to SAO for fall and winter steelhead. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And you talked about that a little bit more, but, uh, you know, just maybe a little bit more detail about kind of what that season looks like. Obviously the, you said the fish are not quite as hot, but you know, what's it like fishing for them until, you know, if you don't get iced out, uh, through maybe late yeah. January, early February. Well, and I, I, I don't mean to imply that they're not hot. I mean, you know, any fish that's fresh and coming off the lake uh, is going to be, you know, lightning on the end of your on, on the end of your line. But, um, you know, they they afford us to, to get a little buggier, right? Like a lot of times those, those rivers coming out of the summer uh, are a little more temperamental. Uh, most of our tributaries on Lake Erie, the southern shore of Lake Erie and northeast Ohio and Pennsylvania are a shale-based riverbed. And so as feeder creeks uh, pour into them, they can, uh, the coloration of those rivers can change pretty drastically on us. And so sometimes, yeah, we are fishing, uh, you know, egg patterns and bigs and, uh, and bees and big and bright, uh, things those fish are keen in on um, because it's off color or it could quickly go low and clear. And, you know, we are, you know, much like we do out West, we're matching the hatch and, and identifying what sort of, you know, aquatic insects or bait fish those fish are uh, really keyed in on. We do have a really prolific uh, population of emerald shiners. And so uh, smaller bait fish patterns, uh, especially in the fall, can, can produce very, very well for us. So it's, it's, it's fun. And, and additionally, Marvin, you know, coming out of summer, a lot of folks are just really antsy uh, to get out there and fish for steelhead you've been waiting for so long and that first run of fish uh it's 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 almost like it's the the new year where we've all been waiting for it it's this moment of celebration and and uh, a lot of times you're seeing other anglers out in the water that you haven't seen uh, in months and so it's it's a 
it's a celebratory experience for sure. Yeah. That's even before you get to walking through the woods at five thirty in the morning with your headlamp on to get the, get the spot <laughs> exactly. you want. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, so, uh, you know, we sometimes have to get there pretty early with that headlamp on just because everyone else is real anxious to get there and get to their spot too. So, uh, the fall definitely means, uh, makes for some, some early mornings, but, uh, again, for some pretty dynamic fishing is, uh, as well that, uh, you know, as you said earlier, we got to experience together. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause I mean, you know, when you say match the hatch, I mean, it's anything from like, you know, a stone fly down to probably like a size 18 pheasant tail. Oh, oh for sure. You know, and, and that could be the absolute difference between, um, you know, a banner day in the water or scratching your head thinking where in the world are these fish at? Um, and it, I, I always tell folks, um, the biggest mistake we can make in steelheading is forgetting that at the end of the day, these fish are trout. Um, we, and when we stop, uh, treating them and approaching them and targeting them, uh, like they're trout, uh, is the moment where we're going to really shift from being successful on the water to struggling. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, before I let you go this evening, Dustin, do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, I just uh, very, very uh, grateful for the opportunity. And if anyone's interested in in coming out on the water, either in Northeast Ohio and Pennsylvania with our Steelhead Alley Outfitters team or uh, venturing west in the uh, central area of Wyoming, uh, please look us up at either Steelhead Alley Outfitters or uh, the, the Ugly Bug, Fly Shop, Crazy Rainbow Fly Fishing. We'd uh, love to have you on the water and uh, make some memories together. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll drop all the links to that and the social media stuff in, uh, in the show notes, but also to, you know, how can folks follow your fishing adventures? Yeah, my Instagram is Dustin James White. Um, and then also, if anyone would like to reach out to me via email, uh, Fishing at gmail.com are uh, easy ways to get a hold of me and follow all the adventures that uh that we have traipsing around the country chasing fish yeah you and dan and steven and all the guys and everybody else yeah yeah we're we're all over the place for sure yeah absolutely well listen dustin i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me this evening yeah thanks so much i really enjoyed it have a good one you too well folks i hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you again if you like the podcast please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.